Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had on There Are No Girls on the Internet is with a writer who was targeted and harassed online about how she continues to stay safe while doing visible work on the internet. Without missing a beat, she said, anybody worried about online harassment should sign up for Delete Me. I signed up for Delete Me right then and there, and I personally recommend it to anyone. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls, code nogirls. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. There's a good chance you've heard of Talia Jane, even if you don't recognize her name. In 2014... When the country seemed to be having a love affair with crapping on millennials, Talia basically became the poster child for the whiny, entitled millennial brat. But she also ignited a conversation about the living wage and took on one of the world's biggest tech companies and actually kind of won. My name is Talia Jane. I am a low-wage worker, labor activist, and occasional writer. Um, My pronouns are she, they, also. And I live in Brooklyn, New York. 
um, my social security number. If you give me a second. <laughs> I don't include that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's not how this works. Talia's upbringing was complicated, to put it mildly. When she was a kid, her mom got involved in a convoluted criminal plot that left five people dead. You probably want to know more about that. There's a Wired profile about her that you can find on the episode description. I lived, my mom was a single mother. Uh, she was working low-wage jobs. Um, she was, you know, like a, a secretary. She worked for Mary Maids, the cleaning company. She did all sorts of stuff like that. Um, we moved around a lot, lived in a lot of low-income housing, um, a lot of food insecurity. As soon as I was old enough to read, uh, it was expected that I make my own food and do my own laundry and kind of be the parent uh, very, very early on. Um, and on top of that, when I was 11, uh, my mom's three best friends were arrested for murdering five people, uh, which I, you know, obviously I had a response to and issues with, but it really spoke to her sort of chronic need to be liked by people and to go along with whatever people wanted uh, to secure a sense of like stability and friendship, which was not translated to me. It was not a good environment that I was in. And when that happened, um, I went to live with my grandparents in uh, Southern California. And I was put in a stable environment for the first time in my life. Someone else was making dinner and someone else was doing my laundry. And they were very, they were very firm that the only thing I had to focus on was school. Um, and then I bounced around a little bit more between my mom, family, friends, um, finally went back with my grandparents. And then when I graduated high school, it was like, all right, you know, cause they, you know, they're from a different generation where it's normal. As soon as you graduate high school, you are out and ideally also married for some reason. So on graduation day, my grandpa walked into my room and he was like, congrats, you have 30 days to find a new place to live. Um, and so it's just been a lot of um, instability, moments of stability that are sort of shrouded by this sense that um, the circumstances that I'm in are not going to last and that they are not normal. Talia took out loans to attend Cal State Long Beach, but eventually found herself having to decide between going to college and working so she could support herself. She chose working. She found a job lead that sounded promising at the food delivery site Eat24, which was then owned by Yelp. She'd be starting out with minimum wage, which she said worked out to about $8 an hour after taxes. But it was a job, and there was talk of her being able to move into a position with better pay. This job also meant that she could be closer to her father. I thought this would be a good chance to connect with my dad, who lives in the Bay Area and who I never really had much of a relationship with. Um, so I was like, all right, we're going to do it. Like, I just opened a credit card and I put, like, moving expenses on there. I went up there and spent uh, two 
weeks or two weekends searching for apartments. And I finally found one that was extremely expensive, but at a point, like it was month to month. So I figured, you know, I could live here and I'll find someone at work to room with and then I can move and it'll be fine. Like it'll, it'll all sort itself out. Talia did something a lot of people have done at some point in their life, packed up on the hope that what she was leaving for would be worth it when she got there. And it was a chance at something that she really didn't get much of as a child living with her mom, stability. Only that stability never came. I wasn't able to find a roommate. I did not get transferred to the position that would have me earning something like a dollar more per hour. Um, I was working full-time minimum wage. Uh, I was living 30 miles away and paying something like $11 a day to commute to and from work. And very quickly, it went from this is difficult, but if I just keep pushing, something will break and it'll be fine to, oh, this is not tenable. I was, by the time my letter happened, I was I hadn't eaten an actual meal in a while. And I had noticed that my hands were shaking constantly. And all I was doing, like when I went to sleep, I wasn't dreaming. I would just lay down and then my alarm would go off and I would wake up. And I I had been doing that for a few weeks. And I had something like 20 or $16 in my bank account. Um, I'd gotten into positions where I couldn't afford to get to work because I couldn't afford to put money on my clipper card to take the train and I couldn't afford to pay the toll because I didn't have any cash. Um, and it just, the situation devolved very quickly. And on top of it all, I didn't even get to like nurture a relationship with my dad. We got coffee once, um, on our birthday, we, we share a birthday and we got coffee for like 15 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, cool. Like that's, you know, it was not great. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of like, you know, when, when people read my letter and they responded to it with like, Oh, this girl's so entitled, you know, it's like, no, I was, attempting to create something better and I had been told by numerous institutions and people that if I did certain things and if I followed a certain playbook and if I worked really hard and threw myself completely into the work and dedicated everything of myself to that that things would work out and Obviously, that is not true. And I'm not saying that just because of what happened to me. But if we look at like, the world, that is the whole concept of the American dream and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Like These things aren't based in reality. They are pretty lies that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better for being constantly, chronically in pain. One day at work, Talia's boss, Yelp CEO Jeremy Stuhlman, sent out a cheerful all-staff video blog, something he did pretty regularly, 
And something I just have to say, sounds like the kind of soul-crushing, semi-mandatory motivational tactic right out of the movie Office Space. Seriously, Talia says that one of his vlogs is about how he styles his hair in the morning. Hearing her boss speak so cheerfully about her company at a time when she was struggling was her breaking point. In true Talia fashion, it started with a sarcastic little joke on Twitter. She tweeted at the CEO offering to edit and watch his vlogs if he agreed to pay a living wage. Then she wrote him a scathing open letter on Medium. If you've ever found yourself in an economically precarious situation, her letter will probably sound very familiar. It's written with Talia's trademark dark sarcastic humor, but in it, she writes about not being able to afford groceries or heat and making rice for dinner most days. She describes how her coworkers teetered on the brink of homelessness and eviction. Your employee for your food delivery app that you spent $300 million to buy can't even afford to buy food, she writes. So walk me through how you were feeling when you wrote that letter in 2016. Like, what was the, was there like a Mm -hmm. moment where you were just like, I am over this? Or was it something that was just like a slow burn inside of you? So I remember I was standing in my kitchen and I was drinking some water because I had tried to go to sleep and I couldn't sleep because I was hungry. And so I was drinking water because my stomach was cramping and I was waiting for some rice to boil. And I noticed that my hands were shaking and I suddenly realized that these things that I had started doing, drinking water to get myself through the 20 minutes it takes to boil rice, so that way then I have food in my stomach so I can sleep for a few hours while my hands are shaking and like all these things, I suddenly like zoomed out very quickly and I went, oh, this is fucked. And I was just like, holy shit, I am, I am, wait, am I allowed to cuss? Absolutely. (laughs) I was like, holy shit, I cannot believe I'm in this situation. And it immediately became clear that I had been doing all of the things that we tell ourselves we have to do. And I had been putting in the work. And I had been making plans A, B, and C to make something happen. But the problem was that I was in a circumstance and in a place where none of those things were going to work because the area in the Bay Area has become unlivable for people who earn six figures. And yet there are still jobs that pay a minimum wage in that area where people have to commute several hours so then they can live somewhere slightly more affordable and they're still failing to get by, you know, like I suddenly, like it, it all clicked together and I was like, oh shit, I should be earning a living wage. And I started typing and I thought about saving it as a draft. And I remember I like sent a picture to my friend of the rice that I was eating with my laptop open. And I was like, I am venting really hard right now and the picture was blurry because my hands were shaking from being you know malnourished um and I was reading it because usually what I do is I will write something out just to get the emotion out and it occurred to me that like there were more people that were struggling Like, if I have it bad, there are other people at this same job who also have it bad. 
And it's not fair to them to stay silent and to just go along with it when it's so clear how fucked up things are. And of course, there was like a part of me that was like, they shouldn't fire me though, because this is protected concerted activity. I'm speaking on my circumstances and on the circumstances of my coworkers and demanding something better. Like I'm taking a stand for all of us. They would be very ignorant to um, fire me. And then of course, two hours later, my email got deactivated and I was like, oh, yep, I'm fired. And that's when everything blew up. It was read by over 2 million people. And less than two hours of hitting published, she was fired from Yelp. Her time at Yelp might have been over, but this was just the beginning. It turns out, just asking the question of whether it's okay for a company based in one of the most expensive cities in the world to be paying staff minimum wage was enough to spark a lot of outrage. What was the fallout like after that letter went viral? Oof. So there was two waves to it. The first wave was people being like, holy shit, this is awful. Oh my God. And it was a lot of people in Silicon Valley who were like, whoa, this is huge. Like the fact that someone said something about Yelp paying minimum wage in like to work in San Francisco, one of the most expensive cities in the country. This is a whistleblower. And then about four days later, uh, conservative media started to pick up on it because their crusty asses are always late. And that was when they were like, oh, she's entitled. Like, who does she think she is demanding a living wage? Who does she think she is? The responses were really personal and angry. Talia Jane shows that she has a lot to learn about adulthood, one headline sneered. Talia Jane, she was a Yelp employee. She went on Medium.com, wrote this blog post basically calling out the CEO. And bl get, yeah, blaming the company that is actually the one that's paying her bills, allowing her to function. One of the most popular responses was by Stephanie Williams. She wrote that Talia lacked work ethic and that if only she had hustled harder, like getting a second job in the service industry like she did, she could have pulled herself up by her bootstraps. Her response made a lot of assumptions about Talia's life, like how she was probably able to get support from her family, when in reality, that wasn't really an option Talia had. After her response to Talia went viral, Williams did a series of TV interviews about Talia and entitled millennials. Here's Williams' segment from Fox News called The Wussification of America. The whole thing kind of sounded very Dickens-esque, like, I am so poor, oh my God, I'm so poor. But when I got to the end and I realized that she had included a link to her Venmo account and a PayPal account, asking for people to help her to pay rent, I just sat there and was like, you have got to be kidding me. After doing a media circuit about Talia, Williams successfully sold a TV show, writing on Medium that her viral rebuttal about Talia's lack of work ethic had been, quote, her golden ticket. Well, the thing that I had trouble with is that she was, you know, listing all the ways that she worked hard, but she was also putting it in the context of privileges that I don't have access to. Um, she was living at home when she was working. She, when she lost a job, she was able to move back home. Those were not options that I had. I 
like I said, like my grandparents were like, all right, see ya. Like I couldn't, I didn't have a home where I could share the financial burden while getting myself in line, you know? The responses to Talia's letter, calling her lazy and entitled or a wuss, reveal a big problem about how we talk about poverty and work in America. It isn't always about individual choices or people. And while it's great that some folks are able to hustle hard enough out of tough situations, if someone is working a full-time job, they should make a wage they can actually live on. And it's not entitled to expect this in America. You're not being a wuss by simply posing the question of whether things could be better. And having to work multiple jobs just to get by isn't a badge of honor. It's a sign that something larger is amiss. Obviously, you should not need to work multiple jobs to survive. The minimum wage, when it was created, was, was enough to cover a family of three. That's two adults and a child. Today, it cannot cover a single person by themselves working full time. And that is the thing that we should be discussing. It's not you as an individual are failing. It's the system does not want you to succeed. We'll be right back. Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted. And their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeletemecom slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeletemecom slash nogirls code nogirls. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. 
And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay, they can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. And we're back. After her letter, people combed Talia's social media to prove she wasn't struggling as much as she said she was. They found pictures like ones of her eating a homemade roast or ones of her using facial scrub to suggest she was exaggerating her financial situation. That, too, reveals a big problem with how poverty is framed. It doesn't always look how you might think. And we've made it seem like it's justified to question the financial choices of someone who's poor. And we expect that someone who's poor should project that poverty at all times. You can't be poor and have an iPhone or a laptop or nice nails or eat the occasional good meal. And in the age of social media, the problem gets even trickier. Everyone knows the reality we present on Instagram is better than the one we actually live. So is it reasonable to judge someone's financial situation on what's essentially their digital highlight reel? So I think an important thing that people don't realize is that when you're struggling financially, You have a limited number of ways that you can release stress to help you get through it. And for a lot of people, that might be drinking or, um, you know, going to the beach or experiencing something beautiful as an escape from the ugliness of your day to day. For me, it's cooking. Like I made these banging ass cupcakes from scratch with like candied lime slices or something like, like, and it was a joyous thing for me to be able to escape all the other stuff. So that way then I can take a breath and get back into it. And when we look at these things and say, oh, well, you're not really struggling. We have to consider the fact that people need outlets to get through shit. On top of that, social media, we, every single person curates their social media to appear better than it is. You never see someone posting a picture of their infant with a huge diaper blowout screaming their face off. Even though that happens, you only ever see those little babies looking cute and cherubic, right? Like, we tailor our social media to present a better version of our lives. And this happens 
throughout the, you know, the financial spectrum. What it boils down to is why do you feel the need to police other people? Like, why also, like, why do you need a ton of context to justify someone's experience? Like, I had a picture of a oven roast that I made, and people said that it was steak. And I'm like, no, you're just being a cliche. I'm not making fucking steak and lobster. It was an oven roast. It cost like $7 and someone else purchased it for me to cook for us. But I'm not going to put that context on social media because if my family and friends found out that other people were buying food because I couldn't afford a $7 roast, then it's going to be like a huge thing. And I didn't want my family to be worried about me because they don't have the resources to help me and they would just feel really bad that I was struggling and I didn't want to put that on them. Like, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Like these assumptions of, of, uh, feigning poverty or feigning excess or like anything like that. Like who gives a shit if someone on food stamps wants to buy themselves steak and lobster, because that steak and lobster is the first meal first real meal that they've eaten that makes them feel human after months of struggle and houselessness and all these different things, if they want to do that, that's their prerogative. They're a grown up. You're a grown up. Act like one. I feel like we're all, most people that I know, even people who are pretty comfortable are all like, one or two calamitous things from not being so comfortable. And I knew someone who was living pretty comfortably and then like many folks lost their job and then like many folks lost their health insurance and then like many folks had a health emergency. When that person was doing comfortably, their car was an older, an earlier model BMW. But so many people were like, I can't believe you drive a BMW and you're on, you're on WIC for the baby, you're on food stamps. And she was like, what am I supposed to do? Sell my car to make you all feel better about me being on food stamps yeah. and government assistance? Like, how would that make sense for, like, how, like, how is that a choice that makes sense? Maybe the, the point of the matter is that, like, it's not really your business to, to make sure that I have what you assume to be the trappings of poverty to be, you know, ad- adequately broke down enough that I deserve to eat. I deserve, you know, government assistance or what have yeah. you. We have this like really fucked up. I feel like it probably has roots in that bullshit thing of the welfare queen. I feel like it has roots in that where you have to kind of present yourself. You have to put on like a performance of your struggle for people to believe it's real. You're not allowed to have acrylics or nice hair. You're not allowed to have, you know, in fashion clothes or things that fit you comfortably and that are clean. You can't have any of these things. You have to be like dirty, grimy, tattered clothes. Like you have to put on this charade for people to be like, oh, yeah. You really are struggling. I've been saying all of these things, but unless I'm doing the song and dance to make you think that, or like to make you believe my reality, it's somehow like, oh, well, what's your personal fault? Like, what's your failing? Like, if you have a laptop, 
you're not poor. Like most people in the US have a laptop. Also, it's not that hard to purchase a laptop and then put it on credit and you're paying like a small amount every single month. It's not hard to purchase an iPhone and every single month you're only paying $20 a month to pay off that phone. Like you don't see all of the the other debts that go into just like maintaining an existence in modern society. But because you're seeing the aspects of existing in modern society, you're just going to assume that people are faking it. Like I don't need to walk out of 1932 for you to believe that I am depressed. Cause it was like, you know, the great depression. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that context. Thank you. Like I don't need, I shouldn't need to be like sepia toned and dusty and like with dingy, dirty nails for you to recognize that earning a minimum wage is not a living wage, right? Why do I need to live in a shack out in the middle of the woods for you to believe that my struggling is valid? Like we have to really, I think, examine our biases when it comes to what poverty looks like, what poverty sounds like, and what poverty feels like. Because so many people they assume certain types of people are poor. They assume they're poor in certain types of way and that there's nothing that can be done because it's their own personal failing. And it's just like a big fuck you to, to all that because it, it couldn't be further from the truth. These are systemic issues that need systemic fixes. And one of the best ways to get started on a systemic fix is to recognize your internal personal adherence and enabling of that system and to uncouple yourself from it, you know? And then you go through and be like, oh, I now realize that even though I'm not struggling as hard as someone in a third world country, my struggles are valid. Or I realize that my income does not reflect my value. And I recognize that your income doesn't reflect your value. Yeah. So like there's so much that we can uncouple in ourselves. And when we do that, we are able to remove the power that these systems have over us and demand better. But if we don't do that, it's not going to get better. Two months after hitting publish on our open letter, Talia's story faded from the headlines. And for as many media outlets ran pieces about entitled millennials like Talia, much fewer followed up on the story and the fact that Talia was actually right and that her letter triggered real change. Not only did Talia get people talking and thinking about the living wage, two months after her letter, Yelp increased pay from $12.25 an hour to $14. They increased the number of paid time off days from 5 to 13, and they added 11 paid holidays up from their previous number of zero. Even though a Yelp representative told Recode that the company did agree with many of the points in her letter, Yelp still says these changes had nothing to do with her and that they were already in the works. Do you think this was in response to your letter? Yeah, absolutely. Um, They'll never tell you that. So here's the thing is that um, the city of San Francisco had previously enacted 
a thing where the minimum wage was set to increase up to $15 by, uh, I think, 2018 or something like that. So no matter what, they would have had to raise the wages, but that first bump would have been much less and it wasn't going to go into effect until June. So they raised wages more than the bump that they needed to and prior to they needed to do it. And then they're going to go ahead and claim that it wasn't because of me. When at the same time, as my letter was going viral, the customer support managers were having one-on-one meetings with all of the customer support staff to gauge how they were feeling and to basically try and prevent a mutiny. And workers were like, yeah, it is fucked. I'm working full time. I should be making a living wage. And they were like, oh, we need to do some changes real quick. And then that's when they rolled it out. Like, it's obvious. They're never going to admit it, but it's obvious. Do you feel vindicated? No, um, because the amount that they raised or like the amount that they increased it, it's still not a living wage. The workers that are working for these tech companies are still not earning a living wage. The rental costs in the Bay Area is still unlivable. And there's still all this stupid, like, NIMBY infighting against building housing and capping rental prices and all these toxic things occurring in the Bay Area. So people are still struggling. You know, I do feel like it's like, yeah, I was right. But also the fight continues. Like, we're not done yet. More after this quick break. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a backseat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. 
You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Let's get back to it. In the last few weeks, workers across industries have been speaking out against unfair, racist, toxic work environments. After Matt Hunsey at the food publication Bon Appetit tweeted about racist workplace practices within the organization, he was put on leave. Talia is happy to see more workers know they don't have to keep quiet when something bad is happening at their job. Every time I see an open letter, I'm like, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> like... <laughs> I remember when Medium posted like an app update and they in their in their debug log, they called it an open letter to Medium users <laughs> talking about <laughs> talking about like what the update included. And I'm like, my legacy. Um, <laughs> but I do feel like people I was I was early, but I was also right on time, I think, because obviously I spoke up in a very loud and a very um, indignant and like direct way, uh, which, you know, you don't usually see, you see like leaks from people uh, speaking to media off the record or whatever it is in this sort of like closed door method to get the information out there. And instead I was like, fuck that. I'm just going to hit post. And I think it might not be direct, but I think that I did get caught in like the early part of people realizing that they have the capacity to use their own voice and say this stuff out loud directly. Um, I, I'm hesitant to say that I was the originator of that, but I do think that people can look at, at what I said and be like, I can do this, but in like a less sarcastic way. <laughs> and and then and they they do it you know like like Hunzi went on um you know Matt Hunzi for BA he was like yeah this stuff is racist and bad things are bad here and then they were like oh we're putting him on uh paid leave and he's like look they're so afraid of people just saying the thing but if you just say the thing then it's out there and people have to uh reconcile with it if you don't say it who will you know, I think a lesson that a lot of people take for me is like, oh, you have to be really scared of like your social media presence and like whatever you post on there. And it's like, who gives a shit? I make beautiful cupcakes 
and I say stuff that needs to be said. Like, just say it. If it needs to be said, put it out there. If you're scared of blowback, do it anyway. You're going to have people who are going to come out of the woodwork and be like, hell yes. You know, like, the the risk that we create in our minds of being afraid of, like, uh, like, you know, like for me, I obviously am still working low wage jobs. Um, but that's not, I, like, I, I used to see it as like punishment, like, oh, I'm never going to have a good job because I did this thing. And I'm, and now I'm like, there are no good jobs. I don't care. I did the thing. You say, you say the thing, do the thing. That's it. So thinking about organizations like Uber and Amazon and Instacart, you know, they're fueled by working people, Mm -hmm. but yet those same people don't really have a loud voice in the conversation about those same companies. Mm -hmm. So what could, what can we, like, how can we make sure that we're meaningfully centering those voices um, in conversations about, about things like Uber and Amazon and, and Instacart? Pay them to write the articles about the companies. We just have people who, you know, went to journalism school contacting workers and asking them questions that other like that journalists are thinking of but that other workers aren't necessarily like the workers know the problem more than a journalist asking questions does um i saw especially among covid reporting early on so much of the coverage would detail how hard it was at uh, a company for low wage workers and then every single quote from workers boiled down to essentially quote like i'm frustrated and scared and then there was no deeper dive the best thing i have seen like the best article i've seen about workers in covid was written by an mta worker who had the piece published i think in the washington post and they wrote about the terror of seeing people that they saw every day just vanish and die. And like, these are things that you are seeing as you're working in it and you're able to mediate like, and like think on these things as you're experiencing them. A journalist is just popping into a space and being like, Hey, how's it going? Good. No, dad. Okay. And then like, that's their story. If you want to see these stories reflected accurately, pay the people who live them to write about it. Get a good editor who doesn't mind spending a little bit more time and nurture the story. Don't take their voices and and put it into your mouth and then speak for them. If you knew now all the things that were going to happen if you published your letter, would you, would you do it again? Yeah. That's it, yes. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I mean... It's, it's the trolley problem, right? Would you uh, sacrifice one to save a hundred? Yeah, I, I don't mind if I'm the one. That's fine. And I mean, I've definitely still had issues, but the further away I get from it, the more obvious it is that uh, socially and culturally, whether people realize it or not, if they were to go back and read my letter today, they'd be like, uh, yeah, obviously, duh. Like we've we've moved into a place where what I wrote is like it's not controversial anymore. Talia's right. For all the hate she got for her letter, 
By a wide margin, Americans say they favor raising the federal minimum wage. Two-thirds of Americans support raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, including 41% who say they strongly favor that kind of increase, according to a 2019 Pew Research Center survey. So will Talia be remembered as someone who was an early adopter that most people now agree with? Do you think that you'll be remembered as a whiny, entitled millennial or someone who amplified the conversation around living wages and actually made tangible change? Uh, I think both. You know, uh, Senator Ben Sass, in his book, he called me an entitled millennial. And that book is going to be on shelves, you know, and certain people are going to choose to read that. He said, um, what was his quote? Uh, The founding fathers would panic at the survivability of the nation if we were to have too many Ms. Janes. Think about that. A sitting senator says if there were too many people like Talia, our country might not have been able to survive. But what she did was actually see a problem in her country and at great risk to her own comfort and stability, asked, why couldn't it be better? What's more patriotic than that? Got a story about an interesting thing in tech or just want to say hi? You can reach us at hello at tangodi.com. You can also find transcripts for today's episode at tangodi.com. There Are No Girls on the Internet was created by me, Bridget Todd. It's a production of iHeartRadio and Unboss Creative. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our producer and sound engineer. Michael Amato is our contributing producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. If you want to help us grow, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. 
Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.